Pastor Connie. This is God's Friday. That's where Good Friday came from. We added a little O in there, but it's God's Friday. Amen. And that's why we're here today. Good to have you here and we welcome you to the service. It's been said a few times, we've probably heard it many times. Jesus would rather go to hell for us than to go he to heaven without us. Think about that just for a minute. I know you've heard it perhaps many times, maybe for the first time. But he would rather go to hell for us. Take the keys of death and hell than go to heaven without us. There's not one person in the world, not one in the world, that has been born or will be born or is living today that Jesus does not want to be them to be in heaven with him someday. So he made a way so that we could be there. After Adam and Eve failed in the garden by sinning and disobeying God, God came to the garden and he said, Where are you, Adam, Eve? Where, where? He knew where they were, but they were hiding themselves because they knew they had failed and sinned. And that which was lost in the garden, 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to earth, God's Son, to pay the price so that we could be with him and have fellowship with him, real fellowship. But it couldn't happen until that event 2,000 years ago. And thank God for Jesus. Amen? Amen. You know, the hymn writer said... Uh, up Calvary's mountain one dreadful morn walked Christ, our Savior, weary and worn, facing for sinners death on the cross, that he might save us from endless loss. The next verse, I'll just quote it in a minute. It comes from one of the things that Jesus said while he was on the cross. Actually, you know, I think it was near the beginning. There were seven things Jesus said on the cross, and one of them was, Father, forgive these individuals who are crucifying me and beating me, insulting me, but they don't really know what they're doing. And then he, second time he spoke to the, one of the thieves on the cross, and the third time, of course, that Jesus spoke, he was concerned about mom, so he said to his relative John the Apostle, would you look after mom when I'm gone, basically? And then that, those words that, no matter how deep you, you go and try to probe them, when, when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We could just, we can't even imagine what it was like for the first time for God to turn his face. But he did that so that one day we could see his face, amen? He said, I thirst. And then he said, it's finished, amen? What he did 2,000 years ago, and then he said, into your hands, Father, I commit, commit my spirit. Father, forgive them. Thus did he pray, even while his lifeblood flowed fast away, it says in the scripture. Hallelujah. Even while his blood flowed fast away. Praying for sinners while in such woe, no one but Jesus ever loved so. Oh, how I love him, my Savior and friend. How can my praises ever find end? Through years unnumbered on heaven's shore, 
My tongue shall praise him forevermore. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Blessed Redeemer, precious Redeemer. Seems now I see him on Calvary's Hill, and that's what we're hoping today. We just have another, another fresh look at Calvary's Hill. Wounded and bleeding for sinners, bleeding. Blind and unheeding, dying for me. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Bless your word as we look into it today. Bless this uh, congregation, those that are listening online. May you bless us together, Lord, in this way, that we may appreciate Jesus and what he has done on the cross even more than we did yesterday. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to focus this morning for a few moments before we leave on what was said the second time while he was on the cross. And we're going to go to Mark's gospel first of all, because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all talk about it. Matthew and Mark say things that uh, Luke doesn't, and Luke says things they don't include. To get us a full picture of what happened, let's start with Mark's gospel, chapter 15, verse 27. They crucified two thieves with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it again in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. And in the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. Ha! He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross so that we might see and believe. Those crucified, this is key, those crucified with him, the two criminals, they also heaped insults on him. Now Luke concludes something about this interaction with the thieves that uh, the other gospel writers don't. So that's why I want to read it. In verse 32 of chapter 23. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing, and they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Why don't you save yourself and us? But the other criminal, who earlier it mentioned was hurling insults at him, rebuked that other criminal that said that. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you're under the same sentence, we are being punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered, get this, truly, surely, I tell you, today you can be with me in paradise. Incredible. Incredible. Can't overemphasize on Good Friday the importance and the significance and the power of the cross and the blood of Jesus Christ and the empty tomb. But today I just want to focus on those words between Jesus and that thief on the cross for just a few moments. 
want to think about what the thief said for Jesus, what the thief said to the other thief on the other side of Jesus, what the thief then said to Jesus and what Jesus said to the thief. We'll just take a few moments to think about that today and I trust that when we're finished we'll just love Jesus more and more deeper than ever before if that's possible. It would probably be the first time this person, this thief, either one of them, had ever seen or been with Jesus. It doesn't seem to me that he hung out with that kind of a crowd. These people were not just thieves, they were, were hardened criminals. As I think of these uh, verses in this particular part of the uh, passage of the crucifixion, I think of four words, and the first word is revelation, and the second word is repentance, and the third word is reward, and then I want to reflect as the worship team will come and this whole passage of scripture together. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ that we see here in this passage. First of all, it's a revelation of God's word. It said in Isaiah, 700 years prior, Isaiah prophesied and said that he would be crucified between two criminals, poured out his life unto death, Isaiah 53, verse 12, and was numbered with the transgressors. It's a revelation, whether we like it or not, as we see these two thieves, of the dark side of every one of us that are here. As I said already, these were no petty thieves or kleptomaniacs even. Matthew and Mark use words that would say that they are hardened criminals. Luke says outlaw. And I don't think either one of these thieves ever said, you know what I'm going to do when I grow up? I'm going to become a criminal. I'm going to become a soul bad that I'll be crucified for my crimes and spend the last dying hours of my life cursing the holiest and purest person that the world has ever known, and yet that's exactly what they're doing. I doubt many people today boasted as a child, you know, what am I going to do? I'm going to grow up and I'm going to forget my Creator, my Heavenly Father. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. I'm going to die after a few short years and go to an eternity in hell without God. But that's exactly what a lot of people end up doing today. And Jesus, of course, did everything he could to remedy that outcome. In some ways, the thief, um, really, the thief is you and I today. The, I have a dark side to me. We all have a dark side. It was our sins, as well as the sins of all people, that nailed Jesus to the cross. So when you think of them nailing him to the cross, for they were nailing him, it was our sins that put him on the cross. Maybe some of us, even before we became Christians, also like these thieves, mocked him, even cursed his name, until we came to know him. The Bible says, all we like sheep have gone astray, and every one of us have turned to their own way. In Romans uh, chapter 3, and also in Psalm 14 and 53, it says, there's no one of us righteous, not one person on the planet Earth. Nobody even seeks God, God seeks us. And on our flight from him, he catches up to us, hallelujah. Salvation is of the Lord, to him be all the glory. It's not, none of us are smart enough to sit down and, and say, you know what, I think this makes sense, I think I should get saved. No, it's a work of the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can convince us that we're sinners. And if he's doing that today and you're not ready to meet your maker, then be thankful. He hasn't given up on you. Only the Holy Spirit can make you guilty or feel guilty for your sins. You know, that which ruined the thief is not strange to anybody here. 
So it was a revelation of the dark side of all of us, but it's also a revelation of Jesus Christ. Here we have this scene with two criminals hurling insults at Jesus, and the crowd is as well. One thief begins to marvel at the silence of this middleman as people are cursing him. He hears him say, Father, forgive them. They don't really understand what they're doing. And one of the criminals who hung there hurled his insults at Jesus and said, Aren't you the Christ? Why did you save others and yourself and, and us as well, I should say? The one thief hears the other thief scoffing Jesus. But now the lips, his lips, that earlier were cursing the Lord, it says in Mark's Gospel and Matthew's, now they're silent. Something's happening to this man. As he looks into the face of our Lord Jesus Christ, a revelation takes place. Hallelujah. He's moved to the core of his being. <laughs> Some of us are here today when the worship team led us in worship. When Pastor Connie led us in communion, we're moved to the core of our being. That something, that someone is God, the Holy Spirit, and the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if I be lifted up from the earth, speaking of the cross, if I be lifted up and you gaze on me, I will draw all men to me. That's the purpose of this church. Every week, every ministry, that we lift up Jesus, and as we do, he will draw people to him. Amen? You know, there's a story that I can't help but read. I think of Charles Spurgeon, who is one of the finest preachers uh, and commentary commentators of the Bible and theologians. He talks about a time when he was 15 years of age, and in 1850... In Britain, they had what they call the snowpocalypse, which is a terrific snowstorm, the worst in recorded history up to that time. And he said he was on his way to church that morning, January the 6th, 1850. And when he was on his way to church, because of the terrible storm, he couldn't make it any further than he was. So he turned into this, he calls it a primitive little Methodist chapel. So he went in there, and when he got in there, on uh, that primitive church in Artillery Street. He, I want to quote from his, from his biography. It's so cool just to hear from him. He says, I sometimes think I might have been in darkness and despair even now had it not been for the goodness of God in sending a snowstorm that one Sunday when I was going to the place of worship. When I could go no further, I turned down the court and I came to this little Methodist church chapel in that chapel, there might have been a dozen or 15 people. The minister didn't even make it that day. So a poor man, a shoemaker, a tailor, or something of the sort, he says, went up and to the pulpit to preach that morning. He was obliged to stick to his text for the simple reason that he had nothing else to say. <laughs> Preacher didn't show up. And so his text was Isaiah 45, verse 22. And the text simply says, Look unto me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. And I have to read it the way he says it. He says he didn't even pronounce the words correctly. <laughs> but that didn't matter. There was, I thought, a glimpse of hope in, my, in that text. And then he began to say, My dear friends, this is a very simple text indeed. It says, look. Now that doesn't take a great deal of effort, does it? It ain't lifting your foot or your finger. It just says, look. Well, any man need not to go to college to learn to look. You may be the biggest fool, but 
You can look. <laughs> a man need not be worth a thousand quid a year to look. Anyone can look. A child can look. But this is what the text says. Then it says, look unto me. Aye, says he with that Essex dialect. Many of ye are looking to yourselves. No use looking there. You'll never find comfort in yourselves. And then the good man followed up the text this way. Look unto me. I'm sweating great drops of blood. Look unto me. I'm hanging on the cross. Look unto me. I'm dead and buried. Look unto me. I rise again. Look unto me. I ascend. I am sitting at the Father's right hand. Oh, look to me. Look to me. And when he had gone about the length, that length, and managed to spin out about 10 minutes, he was at the end of his tether. <laughs> he couldn't say anything else. He wasn't a preacher. Then he looked under, at me under the gallery. And I dare say, there were so few present, he knew that I was a stranger. He said, young man, you look pretty miserable today. <laughs> well, I did look miserable, he says. But I had not been accustomed to having remarks made about my personal appearance from the pulpit before. However, it was a good blow that was struck. <laughs> he continued, you're always, going to, you're always going to be miserable. Miserable in life, miserable in death. If you do not obey my text, but if you obey it now, this moment, you will be saved. And then he shouted as only a primitive Methodist can, young man, look to Jesus Christ. <laughs> and Spurgeon says in another biography I read, he says, I looked and I looked and I looked until I looked my eyes right out of my head. I couldn't look anymore. <laughs> the Holy Spirit was obviously working. He says, then and there, at that moment, a cloud was gone. The darkness had rolled away. At that moment, I saw the sun. And I could have risen that moment and sung the most enthusiastic of them of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And then it says, and I put this on the screen. This is what he says happened as he walked home. And as the snow fell on my road home from the little house of prayer, I thought every snowflake talked to me and told me of the pardon I had found. For I was as white as the driven snow. Hallelujah. Some of us here today, today, hopefully most of us, if not all of us, can relate to what he's saying. I remember the day, I got, the night I got saved. It was a Friday night. And I remember when heaven came down and glory filled my soul, when Jesus came into my life. What a change. I can relate to what Charles Haddon Spurgeon said. Revelation. Repentance. Repentance means to change your mind or change your direction. One of the thieves said, aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and others. There's no repentance in those words, is there? But the other thief, well, he had some words of repentance. Three essential parts of his words are of components that are essential to if you want to repent and get right with God. He says first to the other criminal, don't you fear God? Number one important thing, aspect and component of repentance. Fear of God. Secondly, recognition of sin. He said, we're being punished justly, for we're getting what our sins deserved. And then this third component is a prayer for mercy. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. If you're here today and do not know Jesus as your Savior, you're not right with God, then it says here, have reverence for God. 
Have reverence for God. Recognize that you are a sinner, that you fall short of the glory of God, and that you cry out to God today and say, Father, forgive me. He didn't have much of a prayer, did he? We don't teach that one at the altar. I just say, remember me. That'll be good enough. <laughs> of course, we don't do that. But it was good enough that day. You know, the Bible says in Acts 17, God commands men and women everywhere to repent. Remember me. Nothing much very theological about that prayer, is there? But that was enough. The thief placed Jesus outside the human category. There was something different about him. He expressed his belief in an existence beyond this life. How many believe that there's something beyond this short time that we're here on earth? Amen? Amen. Of course we do. And he realized that he needed somebody, a mediator, that would be able to make it possible for him when he leaves this earth to get to that existence beyond called heaven. Which leads us to the third word, reward. Today, with me, paradise. Quite a thought, isn't it? I mean, this was the garbage dump. Jesus, we have some awful pictures of him on the cross, but they're not nearly as awful as it really was. Couldn't recognize him. Stripped naked on the cross. Two criminals on either side. People, it was the worst possible thing for the Son of God, the pure Son of God. But he did it for you and me. Amen? So that we could have eternal life. Today, he said to the thief, today, with me in paradise. Paradise? What's, what's paradise? Well, you see, there was a place that people who were righteous would die, and it was called paradise, and people would go there. Abraham, Moses, all the godly people from the past were in paradise. And Jesus took the keys of death, and they couldn't go into the presence of God until the price was paid. So they were kind of in a holding pattern for centuries. And Jesus led captivity captive, all those captive in paradise. So he says, today we're going to paradise. He could have said, it's going to be a pretty short visit, though. We're only going to be there for three days. <laughs> and then we're going to leave that place, and we're going to go to, to heaven, real paradise. I don't suppose that thief really recognized the amazing transaction that was just taking place as he hung there on the cross. John Peterson said, and the transaction so quickly was made when as a sinner I came. Today, if you ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins, he will forgive you. Amen. And you are going to go to heaven. No purgatory. If there was, there is no such place anyway. But there is, if anybody should go to purgatory, it would be him. But Jesus said, today with me in paradise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Once this tent, this body is, is put away and my spirit leaves, I am going to the presence of the Lord. So I'm not going to paradise. I'm going to heaven. And uh, later on, we'll be totally transformed. Yes, wonderful reward today with me. In the presence, imagine that ugly scene and all of that awfulness that's going on from there to the presence of joy. Oh, what an amazing thief of all people got to experience that. No maybe, no wait, no hope so. The bankrupt sinner, the, the, the criminal, was given eternal life. There was no other good enough to pay the price for sin. Only Jesus could unlock the door of heaven and let me in. The worship team is going to just come up and begin to prepare. I want to just take this last point called reflections. And I want to
want us to just now think about some of the things that I said. You know, think about this. Before his conversion, this thief had no respect for the laws of God nor the laws of men. Think about this. After his conversion, the thief had no opportunity to serve the Lord. He didn't have an opportunity to do any good works for him. And yet he was going to go to heaven. He didn't even get baptized in water. He got baptized in blood. <laughs> but the greatest baptism was the blood of Jesus that would baptize him. Think about this. Just think about it for a minute. This ugly scene. There's no preacher there. There's no angel. There's no choir. There's no evangelistic rally. There's no gospel singer. No amazing testimony from someone who's supposed to be important. No TV celebrity. No altar call. None of this. Billy Graham wasn't there. Nothing. But the man had a revelation of Jesus Christ. As he looked at the middleman who was hanging on a cross, there was a revelation to him without any human instrumentality at all so that we could say today, salvation is of the Lord. He uses us. It's his will to use us. It's his will that we preach. It's his will that we go to the mission field. All of that is his will. It's the way he brings salvation to the world. But this is an example to remind us that it is Jesus. It's Jesus. You know, the thief's decision to want to reach out to Jesus happened before all the miracles took place that we sung about earlier. What I mean by that is there was a moment when Jesus said, it is finished, and he cried out and said, in your hands I commit my spirit. And it says there was an earthquake. There was darkness over the world before that. It was completely dark in the middle of the day. That's a miracle. This man made a decision before it became dark. Before the earthquake. Before the centurion said, truly, this is the Son of God. Before all of that, he made his decision. Before the graves of holy people, as a result of this earthquake, would open up. And people who were dead are now walking around the streets. Before all of that, this thief made a decision by looking to Jesus, that Jesus was the answer. That he was salvation. Hallelujah. The thief was saved under the most unlikely and favorable circumstances so that no flesh or program could glory and take the glory. As, as I've already said, as Jonah the prophet and the psalmist David said, salvation is of the Lord. It's the Lord. Think about this at Jesus' birth. He was surrounded by barnyard animals. At his death, in the garbage heap outside, place called the skull two crucified between two criminals the refuse of society to demonstrate to us today the unfathomable depths of shame to which Jesus descended he was our substitute folks he took our place think about this Jesus forgetting all about himself for that moment of the agony we're going to talk a little bit about it on Sunday the agony that's on the cross the physical agony the spiritual agony he forgets all about that and he flings himself onto this thief in mercy. Forgets about all everything. I'm here for that person because I want him to be with me forever. I want the other thief too. This one's responding. Jesus saw the anguish of the thief's soul 
and was satisfied. So he flings open the kingdom's gates and the, the man walked in. Amen? The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain of blood in his day. Though there may I as vile as he, I can wash all my sins away. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Think about this. One solemn thought remains. Many people use this story as an excuse to wait till the very end and then I'll get right with God. In the meantime, I'm just going to be hedonistic. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry and, and enjoy my life. An old preacher was preaching to a mixed crowd one day and he was warning against the, the, the dangers of procrastination and thinking about people waiting to the end to receive Jesus. And someone in the crowd shouted out, yeah, but what about the thief on the cross? And the old preacher looked down at him and said, which thief? Which thief? Miriam LeVay Krauss wrote, three men shared death upon a hill, but only one man died, the other two, a thief. God himself made rendezvous. Oh, what a rendezvous that was. I got saved as an 18-year-old in Toronto, and I was uh, working for the city of North York, and a guy called Kenny, 33-year-old, party animal, we call him today, just having fun in life, and I talked to him while we, we sat by a fire while the other guys went back, and we were down by the Don River, burning up some brush and things, and uh, talked to him about eternal life and getting right with God, and Kenny says, uh, yeah, I'm going to do that someday. Yeah, I'm going to get right with God someday, and I said, well, you know, need to do that now. I was a brand new Christian, 18 years old. Well, that weekend, Kenny went to his, one of his parties and was playing pool with one of his friends. And something got happened, got under control. They took a 22 and shot him through the neck, instantly gone. Can't put it off, folks. Can't put it off. God's emphasis in all of this, I want to close with this. Is what he said to the thief today with me in paradise. As I came to Good Friday, I couldn't help but think today with me in paradise. God sent his son to the cross to die for us, not just so that we would serve him, but primarily to have fellowship with him. Amen. The image of God is stamped upon every living person on planet Earth. And God wants to recover that which was lost in the fall through the blood of Jesus. First Corinthians. Chapter 1, verse 9, Paul said, God who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our called you into fellowship. Not to serve us, to fellowship. Jesus wants to have fellowship with us. John 14, some of us know this. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, disciples, and I'll come back so that you can be with me. Not just so you get your reward. That wasn't that's not the deal. I want you to be with me. Thomas Asaph said, Whom have I in heaven but you, Lord? And on earth I desire no one but you. With me. God longs for us to be with him. We need to spend time every day with him. Read his word. Get to know him. Amen. He died so that we could be with him. Praise the Lord. Arthur Pink with his words. He said, what makes heaven so supreme?
superlatively attractive to the heart of the saint. It's not that heaven is a place where we shall be delivered from all sorrow and suffering, nor is it because we shall meet again those who we love in the Lord that have gone before us, nor is it because of the golden streets or the pearly gates or the walls of Jasper. No, blessed is all of, as, as much as all those things are. Heaven without Jesus would not be heaven. Why don't we stand together? Jesus is going to be our greatest joy in heaven. He is my greatest joy right now. Hallelujah. Let's just worship him for a moment. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we begin to thank him for this wonderful salvation. Hallelujah. 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 Today the Lord can whisper into your heart. Today with me forever. Hallelujah. Father, as we sing this song, leaders, Pastor Orlando comes to, to close the service. We pray for those that as they hear this song, we're not right with God, would reach out to him and say, God, today I want to make things right. And if you do that, why don't you come and talk to one of us, one of the pastors here, or you know one of the board members, seek them out as well. Amen. Heavenly Father, salvation is of the Lord. On this Good Friday, we commemorate the death of Jesus Christ, the great price that was paid. We recognize now more than ever it was for us. So God, as your spirit moves across this place, save those who need to be saved. And so I say to you, amen, I say to you, look unto him from the ends of the earth and be saved, amen.